All right, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, I know last week, if you were here last week, uh, we spent the majority of time looking at uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. And that, uh, I realized, was, was a bit of a little, uh, maybe a little heavier technical uh, Bible study. But it was, it was important because that portion uh, that has to do with uh, concerning those or the, the, the implication about losing your salvation, is, is that what is being discussed or is there maybe if we look at the context broader, or is there a way to harmonize that with our belief and the security of the believer and what is being said in Hebrews? Is it contradictory? So again, uh, I, uh, I, I really wanted to kind of just chicken out and go on to something else, but those are things, that's, that's one of those big passages in Hebrews that uh, it's kind of at least uh, to kind of wrestle with, and uh, so uh, uh, anyway, so we're not going to do that again tonight. But I do want to just uh, kind of by way of introduction tonight, uh, and I have a few scriptures on the screen, because as we'll look at verses uh, 9 through 12, we're still, uh, we're still kind of in a ser- section of the Hebrews that I would say there's two bookends. Uh, and so again, if you have your Bibles uh, open, I'll, I'll try, like I said, I'll have a few scriptures here. But right before verse 11, if you remember, the writer of Hebrews is in some, he's talking about Jesus as the high priest. Chapter 5, he's talking about how Jesus is our high priest forever, chapter 5, verse 6. And um, he starts to talk about, in verse 9, about this, uh, that Jesus is modeled after this uh, Melchizedek, and there's some mystery, uh, you know, about who that is and what that's about. But it's almost, not almost, but it's like the writer just kind of stops cold there after verse 10, and again, if you have your Bibles, it's a little easier to see what I'm referring to. But when he comes to verse 11, it's like he switches gears real quick. And because uh, he's been into this kind of a bit of a deep understanding concerning uh, Jesus as the high priest. Remember, he's writing to Jews. So the high priest and the priests uh, and connecting Jesus as the fulfillment of that, that's a big deal. But he kind of just pivots a little bit, and he says, verse 11, and he says, and this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, okay? Become dull of hearing. Uh, it's almost as though he, he realizes, it, it, like, you ever been trying to talk to somebody and you're explaining something about the Bible, or maybe you're explaining how to connect their modem up to their cat to their TV I don't know and they just you're talking because you you see it you get it it's a real simple explanation and the red wire goes here and you plug it in the output the input and you just and you look at them and they've got this glazy look like they have no clue of what you're saying and, and I don't know if that's what's going on here but he kind of just stops and is like wait a minute you guys You become dull of hearing. Then he says, and though by this time, and what he's talking about is by this time of your spiritual development, your spiritual maturity, 
you ought to be teachers. In other words, that you've been exposed to enough truth now that you should be able to disseminate. But he says, but you need someone to teach you again. And he calls it these basic principles of the oracles of God. He said, you need milk, not solid food. And milk being the the picture of babies take milk, not solid food. Again, just trying to keep our context. He said, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of, of righteousness since he is a child. So that's kind of the, the, the thing, is that the, he's talking about, uh, and a little frustrated, if we could say it this way, to their spiritual maturity. They're not mature, see? He's not writing necessarily to unbelievers, but he's writing to immature people. And then to kind of carry this forward, again, we're in chapter 5, verse 14. He said, but solid food is for the mature. He's wanting them to get out of kindergarten. He's really wanting them to understand about Jesus as our high priest and the order of Melchizedek that he'll pick up later. And, uh, and, but he says, you know, you guys lack a maturity. Um, so, so just by way of, of context, this, this picture of their maturity is what the writer has in mind. And that's really important when we come to chapter 6. And he says, let us move on. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Um, and, uh, and again, let's go on to maturity. I don't have that on the screen. But let's go on to maturity. So maturity from verse 11 through the end of chapter 6, spiritual maturity is what he has in mind there. And the reason that is important, the reason I'm even bringing up again tonight is so that when we come to that difficult section that seems to teach about a genuine believer, somebody who's genuinely converted, could lose their salvation, but not only just lose it, but lose it with no chance or opportunity to return. That's different than just backsliding or somebody who falls away for a season. Or This is something different going on there. This is that judgment that we talked about in Romans 1 where God gave them over and there was no point of return. That was his judgment. This is something different here. And my, and I think hopefully your understanding, even though it may be a little, uh, little tricky there to, to put all the pieces together in just kind of a, uh, a class or two, is that he kind of goes off script a little bit and when he talks about these people that are fallen away... He's just trying to underscore his warning to those who are hearing these words that he's writing that are spiritually immature, and maybe with the assumption that maybe the reason you're spiritually immature, maybe the reason you're not growing, maybe the reason you're not developing is because you've never been converted. So as he kind of goes through that, he comes back full circle uh, and I won't go through verse. Uh, I won't go through verse four. Let me kind of skip verse four, five, six. Let's go to verse nine. Remember now, when we come to verse nine, he changes. He pivots back to his audience who are spiritually immature. Because what does he say here? Now again, he just got through saying about warning them 
about, you know, if, if, uh, about the possibility of, you know, having once tasted in the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, um, that uh, if you fall away, it's impossible to be repentant and come back to, to faith in Christ. But he says, this is really important, though we speak this way, yet in your case, you should mark that, because that would tell you what he just said in the previous few verses is not in their case. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? He, he's switching. He said, but in your case, like, you know, I would say, you know, those people that this, and those people this, and those people that. But in your case, he's not. So that's why I want you to, maybe I'm just beating a dead horse, but I want you to see the way he shifts the conversation there so that you don't miss that. Okay, it's kind of nuanced, but I think if you read it carefully. So he switches gear. He's not talking to this group that he's just kind of a hypothetical group. Maybe, maybe they're in that audience, they're hearing this, who are not genuinely converted but have a form of religion. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They haven't necessarily been converted um, but yet they have a form of religion, but really they're just kind of playing church. They've never had the experience because their lives are not showing any evidence or fruit. But he says, verse 9, though we speak in this way, it's almost like he's saying, though I know this is kind of harsh, but in your case, notice what he says here. What does he call them? Friends, beloved. Anybody have anything different? ESV says beloved. He's not talking to, un what you, I'm Gary, what did you say? Dear friends. So you see his group, who he's talking to, is, is different. Because remember back in verse 4 and 5 and 6, he's talking about them, they, they. But he says, but you. Do you see how he's switching there? And that's important when you're trying to say or understand what does this verse mean? Who's he talking to? What does it mean? So if you just kind of pluck it out from its context, then I think you'll, or me or anybody, will maybe misunderstand what he's saying there. So he's talking and encouraging people to go on to spiritual maturity, and he kind of comes back to that. In verse 9, he's still talking to the same group. Just like on Sunday, I preach to a wide group here. There's believers, there's immature believers, and I would assume there's people that are unconverted. You have a whole group here. But at the same time, I'm, I'm speaking kind of all at once, kind of like a shotgun. It's just going out. The spread is going out to everybody. So my words are always kind of nuanced because I've got multiple people in the audience there. So verse 9, he comes back around. To his original thought that began in verse 11, he's wanting them to be mature, 5.11. He's wanting them to get away from drinking milk. He wants to give them the, the meat of the word. He wants to get into this high priest and Melchizedek. But, but he's frustrated because they're still babies. And maybe he just kind of throws it out there. Maybe you're babies cause, and there's no growth. is because there's nothing, there's no life there. You've never been converted. And you better be careful. And I don't think we want to minimize the warning there. To uh, Again, I'm not talking about some morbid introspection 
uh, you know, every morning, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? You know, yesterday, you know, I had this thought, or I did this, or I, you know, and maybe I lost my salvation. You know, there was a, you know, some people, you know, they, 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 they got saved on Sunday, but by the time Tuesday came, you know, they lost it. And so they got to get back in church and get saved all over again. And that's kind of just that roller coaster ride. They had never been taught, you know, a, a, you know, an assurance of faith. They've never, you know, understanding that it's not, uh, it's, you know, their salvation is secure, not because um, I keep myself, but because Jesus keeps me. And, and, uh, and the evidences of this conversion, the, the fruit of the Spirit that is in my life serves as evidences of this conversion. So now, verse 9, he's saying, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, not that group in those verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Beloved, beloved friends, dear friends, believers, we feel sure of better things that belong to what? Salvation. In other words, we, we know that you guys, you need to grow up, but we're confident that even even though there's not great maturity there, there's not as the kind of growth where you need to be eating the spiritual meat of the Word, but we've got confidence. Why? Because there's signs of life. My wife and I, we have a constant haggle over plants. She's ready to be the Kevorkian of the family, and, uh, and I'm resistant I said, there's still green there. There's still life there. We had, finally it died, and I think I ended up doing it by something I tried. He sees signs of life, and that's what gives him this, from uh, switching from this, this dour warning to this sense of like, but I'm confident. It's almost like he doesn't, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm being a little heavy here, and I want to I wanna make sure they have some confidence here. And then uh, then we'll get into... Uh, our study for tonight. So, with all that being said, verse 9, he's addressing the beloved. He's, he's been addressing the same group, talking about spiritual maturity, even though he kind of went off script a little bit in talking about the potential of those who are never believers but have rejected the faith, they've been exposed to the truth, very similar, as I said, to those in Romans 1, even though they're exposed to the truth, they suppress the truth. They never allowed the truth to have any effect on their life. They, you know, kind of like the parable of the sower and the seeds. You know, there was some seed that never germinated with the soil. The problem wasn't the seed. The seed is being like the Word of God. The problem isn't the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, the Word. The problem isn't that. The problem is the, the soil, picture of the heart. You know, some seed is just kind of thrown on the ground and people have an initial impulse and, yeah, I want to I get in this Jesus thing and then all of a sudden trials and hardship come and they're like, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know that people would reject me, you know, and I didn't know I could still not do my thing. I just thought I'd add Jesus to my, to my repertoire, you know, and so he's talking to these believers. And now let's, let's talk about this and the reason kind of get to the point here, Tim. Uh, number one in your outline, verse 10, 
is the reason why he can show this confidence is because he sees these signs of life. Or, uh, point number one in your outline, genuine salvation is always accompanied by visible evidence. Now make sure we don't misunderstand. That will be different in every person's life. You know, again, I'm not... But I always think about the parable of the talents, you know, that, and I realize salvation isn't like giving out, you got more salvation, I'm making that parallel. But, but each person manifested their, their fruitfulness of those talents in different ways. So even in the New Testament, you have people that were called to be deacons, apostles, right? But then you had other folks that they were just church faithful Faithful servants, I mean, we're all servants of the Lord, but they, they, didn't, they weren't called for those extraordinary gifts. You remember the Bible in uh, 1 Corinthians 12? It talks about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, and it says, you know, how we're all gifted by the Holy Spirit for the benefit or edification of the other. It isn't just for us, but it says the Holy Spirit distributes, I'm paraphrasing, distributes or gives those gifts as the Holy Spirit wills. So the Holy Spirit is the one that says, you know, these gifts are, you know, these are unique to Connie. These are unique to Tim or whatever. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. So even in salvation, there are people that uh, will manifest different levels of evidence and growth. But you still have this group that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians, where he called them carnal. I mean, we'll just say, have you known anybody, generally? We won't say you. That was a believer, but they just had a... What's another word? Carnal's kind of that old King James. Huh? Fleshly, all right? That's good. What else? What's another word for fleshly, carnal? Worldly, yeah, I used to use, I remember, I remember this woman in our church when I was a kid, and she used to always talk about when I was in the world, and I'd say, Jackie, you're in the world right now. I knew what she meant, but I used to just pester her. She'd always say, you know, when I was in the world, you're in the world now. <laughs> uh, worldly, car- they just, they, 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 again, we're not fruit inspectors, Right? But, but you, you believe that there's, a, there's been a genuine conversion there. There just seems to be, at this stage, they're, they're just, they seem to be like these folks. Let's, hey, let's don't talk about them. Let's talk about the, these Hebrews. They seem to be like those people that's saying, you know, uh, Stan, whoever Stan is. I don't think there's a Stan in this room. Uh, you know, by this time, you've been in the church long enough, you should be able to teach somebody else these things. But you're still... Like a baby. The issue wasn't conversion. The issue was what? Maturity, growth. But they showed evidences. They showed life. And so, you know, there are believers uh, that, that are just immature believers. Is that evidences come in all kinds of varieties, but genuine salvation, even to the baby... And I think he, that's the point even he made here, going back to chapter 5 or verse 11. He, at least he, was, he didn't say you're dead. He said, 
I mean, you're babies and you need milk. Well, alive babies drink milk, you know. So he's acknowledging life there. He's just flustered, if you will, that they're not more spiritually mature than they, than they should be at this point in their life. And so in the second point there on your outline, um, and in verse 10, he lists some things, gives some things um, that uh, we can see here that he says these are evidences uh, for your faith. Number uh, one, under point number two, love for God. This is an evidence. Love for God stemming from his love for us as the primary motive for all Christian service. In other words, um, what does he say here on verse 10? He says, uh, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. He points that out as an evidence of these, verse 9, beloved friends. What are they called? What is your word? It said special friend? What is it? What is it? Dear friends. Yeah. I mean, he's talking to believers, right? He's warned them. He's kind of shaken, you know, kind of banged on the table to make sure that they don't fall into this, you know, make sure that they're walking the walk, talking the talk. <clears throat> but he says that this first evidence is they love the saints. You know, Jesus' primary, remember Jesus said, was asked what's the first and greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, what? Love your neighbor as yourselves, right? Uh, love one another as he loved us. God loved us, Romans 5, 6 says that God loved us while we were still sinners. Not everybody's easy to love. Especially some Christians are not always easy to love, right? But that doesn't get us off the hook. Doesn't get us off the hook, does it? Uh, but don't miss something there that I want you to see. It says that the, the author mentions the love which they had. Uh, it says that you have shown for his name. So I think that's really neat because the motivation, the first motivation is their passionate love for God is what in turn gave them love for one another. See, um, as we grow in our love for God and his passion for his glory, I mentioned, I think it was last week that um, some of you know who the name John Piper is, and his book on missions uh, is a little different because it isn't a book on missions, uh, world missions that, you know, people are lost, they need the gospel. I mean, he admits, you know, and that's all true. But our motivation for going to the DR or our motivation to go across the street or our motivation to witness at a bus stop should be a passion for God's glory. We want to glorify His name by exalting His name and shedding His love abroad to everyone. And In other words, what's the motivation? What does it say, verse 10? For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name. Their serving the saints was based on their love for God. Now in your outline, I think I put it in there, I just thought it was... Really, really good. In John MacArthur's commentary on Hebrew, Hebrews, he made this note, um, and I think it's in there. Do I have it in there? Yeah. 
Uh, listen to what he says, and he, he's making application of this point. He says, when Jesus recommissioned Peter, remember post-resurrection, he did not ask him if he loved men, and if so, then go out and serve them. He asked Peter, remember there on the shoreline, he was making breakfast, and he asked Peter three times, do you love me? After each of Peter's affirmative replies, Jesus commanded him to feed his sheep. And MacArthur concludes, we can never love men, people, saved or unsaved, lovable or unlovable, until we properly love Christ. I thought that's a... I thought, how many times have I read that? I'm like, duh, I didn't, I missed that. I missed that about Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? If you love me, love the sheep. Uh, you know, sometimes pastors, sometimes not all the sheep are as lovable and cuddly, right? But if, you know, that's where, again, if I have a sheep, hopefully not a herd, but a sheep that is maybe not quite in sync, or we're having similar... Well, my love for God is what's going to keep me and my heart soft, right? And so it's going to keep your heart soft, forgiving, loving, gracious, you know? And it's when you get brittle, you get unforgiving, you get irritated, you know, just like you, you just, no. If you love me, love my sheep, all right? Second thing, second evidence is also in verse 10, uh, to love others is one way to show love for him. And we kind of, uh, kind of said that. But look over in your Bibles to 1 John. I don't have you turned to too many spots. But 1 John uh, chapter 1 has, a, has several things to remind ourselves. When we went through 1 John, uh, we spent some time on these. But just be reminded of what 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, then we'll look down at verse 9 through 11, uh, remember, 1 John was written uh, to give assurance to believers of their relationship with Jesus. And so one of the evidences that he notes that should be, uh, should be evidence is their love for the, for the saints, love for one another. Look at verse 3, chapter 1, 1 John. Uh, that which we have seen and heard, we, were, we proclaim also to you, so that, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy, uh, so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, here's the clincher. If we say we have fellowship with him, we could say if we say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk, walk is a picture, a, a word for our lifestyle, our way of life. While we walk in darkness, seems to be some disconnect there. He says we lie and we do not practice the truth. You know, it's the one thing to know the truth. The folks in Romans 1, I hate to keep picking on them, 
They knew, they were exposed to truth. But the Bible says in Romans 1, they chose to suppress the truth. Um, remember when he, it was in, in Hebrews where he talks, he's, when he was talking about the, their forefathers in the wilderness, how they did not mix, um, I forget the exact word, maybe you can find, they did not mix their uh, faith with obedience. In other words, they didn't, they didn't mix it with faith. They were exposed to all these great miracles of God, but they didn't mix it with their faith in God. Um, all right, look down at verse 9 through 11. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. That isn't exactly what I want. I don't know why I had that there. Um, but he goes on to say and make that connection that, hey, if you hate your brother, you're really evidencing. You want an evidence? There's a negative evidence. Remember uh, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit? I won't turn to it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? You know, the fruit of the Spirit. The evidences, but remember before that, he doesn't call it fruit, because fruit is something sweet and good and light, but he says the works of um, the law or unrighteousness are evident. And he talks about lying and, and, you know, and all these sins. So there are evidences, but there's evidences that show godly evidences, and then there's evidences that show that my life is not, I'm not giving evidence. I'm giving evidence that I don't know him. I'm, I'm unconverted. I'm, 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 not, uh, I'm not a believer. So love of others is one way that we show that evidence of love for God. And then letter C is that love for others is work. Going back to verse 10, he says, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. You know, sometimes this thing of loving obedience one to another in the faith, uh, it isn't passive. It isn't just automatic. Remember in Philippians uh, 3 or 4, remember Paul calls out two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and basically says, quit fighting. Now, I'm going to find them one day in heaven and just say, I've got to ask you ladies, your name is baked in to Scripture. How do you, what did you think about that? Well, I didn't think he should put our names down. You know, I don't know what they'll say. But I mean, he just calls them out. Why? Hey, work on this love thing. You're not off the hook. And you know, there was a time in which churches, uh, probably before any of our time that are here, uh, there was one primary God-centered work church in the community. You know, that's where everybody, and you know, a parish church. I'm not talking about a Catholic church, but in some, but irregardless, you know, it was a parish church. That's where the people, you know, there was a pastor for that community, and that's basically where people that met and they went, and they couldn't just get mad and, you know, well, I'm going to go down to this church. I don't like the way you did this, or you offended me, or you didn't do, and, you know, there's people here. I have been told that in the history of Grace Church, Teresa and Jim could verify this, and Debbie, in the history of Grace Church, if you found everybody that made their way into Grace Church in 30 years. 
We've probably filled Victory Church. I mean, in other words, the numbers of people. And that's, some of that's normal and cyclical, right? But some of it, you know, is even since I've been here, a year, I mean, people that cycle through and for whatever reason, you know, you joke about the vaccine, I'm out of here. You know, you say something negative about Trump, I'm out of here. You say something you like about Trump, I'm out of here. I mean, it is. I'm dreading this next election. I, I may go on a, can I get a sabbatical in 2024? I'm just going to be gone. I mean, but, you know, you heard the joke about uh, the guy that was rescued off the deserted island, and they found him on this little island by himself, and, uh, and he had three little, three little uh, kind of huts built. Uh, and uh, they said, what are these little huts? You've heard this joke. And he said, well, that, that's where I live. That's, that's my house. He goes, oh, well, what's this hut? He goes, oh, that's where I go to church. We got three. What's this other one? He goes, oh, that's where I used to go to church. Um, so anyway, uh, remember what Paul says in Galatians 6? I think I have the scripture there. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time. That's what we don't like. We want an instant coffee, instant macaroni and cheese. We want instant, instant, but we don't like that in due time. But you know, maturity, and again, what we're talking about here is that word we talk a lot about, and that's that word sanctification. That's, that's the process of the gospel being applied in our lives and lived out. Let us do good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. For while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. That means your cantankerous Jehovah Witness neighbor, it says you've got to do good to them. Right? Or whatever, whatever group they're in. Maybe they're an atheist. Because they're created in the image of God. But especially to those who are in the household of faith. Okay? That we're called to love. All right? Number three. Uh, heading number three. Again, talking about kind of building on this, verse, um, verse 11. Uh, number three, diligent, faithful service. Heading number three, diligent, faithful service to others out of the love of God will strengthen your assurance of salvation. There's a connectingness, connectiveness of our... Remember who he's writing to. He's wanting to give them assurance... Un, un, Chapter 5 and 6 of Hebrews is not meant to shatter the security of the believer. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is to build up their assurance and confidence as believers. That's what he's, that's what he's driving at here. And one of the ways that we can be strengthened in this assurance is connected to the way that we show our love for each other. And look what he says. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, the same desire, the same passion to have the full assurance of hope to the end. Um, the New American Standard says it a little clearer when he, he says uh, that they are to continue in what he said in verse 10, in verse 10, about in serving the saints. And notice how it ends there, and that's where page breaks or page number breaks. You kind of lose the flow of thought. He says... Um, that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, this work of love, 
uh, as you still do, same thought, and we desire to each one of you to show that same earnestness, that same passion. We want each of you, we want the whole group of you to be that passion in order that you would have that full assurance of hope. Because we know that as you love one another, as you grow in God's love for one another, that assurance that you're in the faith, that's going to be increased. And I tell you, uh, it's happened in my life, I'm sure it's happened in your life, that at times you've, you've stopped and it kind of hits you and thought, you know, there was a day and there was a time when that person, I would have, one, not had anything to do with them, but I would have just, and now I'm like, I'm like hanging with them. I'm going, I'm meeting them at Panera's. I, I would have never, I, could, I would have not been able to even been in the same room with this person. But you know what? God's love and you know what? All of a sudden now I'm seeing them through the eyes of Jesus. Boy, that helps when you get, when somebody really does something, especially I'm talking about maybe another believer, see them through the eyes of Christ. You know, that great amount of forgiveness that God has shown you. Is there really anything they can do that, you know, that you say, that, 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 they, they, they hit, they can't do it. Uh, they've reached my limit. So assurance is connected in our love that we show for one another. Um, Jesus, or 1 John 2, 3, don't turn to it. By this we know, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So one of the commandments that Jesus gave was to love. You'll, they'll know you are my disciples by what? By your love. By your five points of Calvinism, you can recite. That isn't what it says. They'll know you are my disciples by that you all are carrying your King James Version. Uh, they'll know that you're my disciples by your length of your hair. Uh, you know, we got all these. And again, that isn't what he... You know, they'll know you're a follower of me. They know you're identified with me by how you love and treat one another. You know, it's always disturbing when I hear uh, situations of Christians, sometimes very prominent Christians, that are suing and taking each other to court. I think the Bible's pretty clear on that kind of thing. And then the four, fourth one, let me just make, I think I have it in there, persevering in good deeds, because this is what we're talking about, good deeds, works, persevering, sticking to it, Persevering in good deeds is not, this is important, persevering in good deeds is not the cause of why God keeps you, but it is the evidence of it. It's the evidence of the fact that God has me in his hand, that my security is, is that he has my security, that I belong to him, he belongs to me, and this evidence uh, strengthens your assurance, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. And so fourthly, he says, one key to diligent, faithful service to God is to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look at verse 12. He said, so that you may not be sluggish, or we could say lazy, but he says be imitators. Literally, mimic is, I think, the Greek word there. Mimic. Mimic. Imitate. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Now, do you remember preview of coming attractions? Because again, he's building a little bit on this. What's in chapter 11 of Hebrews? What do we call that? The chapter hall of faith. That's when he goes through all the saints and their faithfulness and their diligence in serving God. So he's kind of building up to that. And, and, and next week, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in, and, uh, a little bit. And remember, what is, his re- what is his reference point in verse 13? I don't have it on the screen. But he uses Abraham. And, and uses Abraham as an example of a man who patiently waited in faith and the promises of God, uh, God was faithful to fulfill his promises. Interesting connection, and I'll uh, bring it out next week. But notice, don't miss that in this assurance, Jim, because uh, I know you'll appreciate this, that in this assurance, he pivots and makes sure he underscores the covenantal commitment that God had to Abraham is their same covenantal commitment of why they can also have an assurance of faith. Don't miss that uh, in that context there. Two things of how do we I have it on there. Two practical things, and we'll end with this. Two practical things is uh, read. You know, we have favorite people that we like reading in the Bible, don't we? Uh, we always love the story of David, Paul, those biographies. You know why we love those? You know why we love David? Because, huh? Yeah. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody yet, but no. Uh, wanted to wring some necks, right? But no, we love David because, you know, we just find ourselves sometimes, and yet what the Bible, the Bible says he was a man after God's own. Whew. You know, we just, that resonates with us. Um, Paul, Daniel, you know, not enough like Daniel. I uh, wish I could be more like Daniel. And then read Christian biographies. Read stories. Uh, I know there was this radio program on Moody Radio, Stories of Great Christians. You remember that, Arnie? You know, and it was a dramatized reading. I think it's still on some radio. And it was, you know, and they would read biographies on the radio of these uh, people in church history, people, maybe some of these names you've never heard of, people like Jim Elliott, martyred uh, missionary down in South America, Hudson Taylor, this, one of the first modern missionaries that opened up the door to China, John Wesley, Watchman Nee, uh, a guy that probably most of you have never heard of by the name of John Payton. He was a missionary uh, from Scotland to the uh, New Hebrides Islands over in the Pacific that uh, when he went over there in the late, middle, 19th century, uh, they, were, they were known and filled with cannibals. And his biography talks about hiding up in a tree while these cannibals are out looking for him. I mean, just amazing stuff. And you're like, wow, I haven't, you know, I haven't encountered that at Foxwood yet. But uh, uh, Charles Stanley, he, he wrote a book. It really is not a biography, but I, it's one of my favorites, a short book. I think it's called Courageous Faith, but he talks a, a lot about his uh, growing up with a single mom. Father uh, either died or left them. I think he died before when before he when he was under a year old. His mom raised by a single mom. Uh, just uh, just one of my favorites. It's not a long book. Courageous Faith, Charles Stanley. You know when you read a biography of somebody and you hear their story. Like I said, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a I don't I'm not a Joyce Meyer person. I've just again I don't want to get into that. But if you've 
if you have never heard her testimony, listen to it. And you may not agree, you know, with some of her word of faith stuff, whatever, but I guarantee you, you will not think of her in the same way to hear the grace and mercy of God in her life. How many of you ever heard her testimony about especially the relationship with her father? I mean, my gosh. It's powerful stuff. And to hear her, the grace, I mean, you can Google it and listen to it. Uh, but my point is, when you hear and you read these biographies, you say, man, I want to imitate that. I want to mimic that faithfulness. I want to mimic that love for God, you know, that passion for God. So anyway, so again, he's trying to motivate us to be mature, move on in the faith. And the key thing there, he says, don't, where, what, what's, the, what's the verse there? Uh, he says, don't be sluggish. There it is. Don't be, one version I like, it says, don't be lazy. We got to get it. Sometimes we're, we're, we're spiritual couch potatoes, right? We need, to, we need to, and he's saying, look, the reason you're drinking milk is because you're lazy. You're lazy. Christian, saved, born again, going up with Jesus, whenever, whatever your end times scheme is, he's going with Jesus. Saved, born again, right? But lazy, immature. Now we want to make sure that that isn't a permanent state. That's where he wants to put that warning out there because if it's a permanent state, it could be a sign that there's never been conversion. So he's warning genuine Christians that are lazy, sluggish, couch potato, immature believers, be warned do a little self-checkup on your faith. Because if you're not motivated and you imitate and grow, that's why he's warning them. But he says, but hopefully he says it to Grace Church, but I, I believe better things for you. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? He says, I believe better things for you. I've got better expectations for you. I remember saying that at least to one of my children. I know what that, but I, even, even when you messed up, I believe better things about you. I've got, you know, I've got, I, I've seen evidence in your life. I have greater expectations for your life. I know you can do better because I see what you're capable of, you know, and that's what he's trying to do here. So, Father, help us to get off our spiritual couches of laziness. Lord, motivate us. To not be sluggish, Lord, but let us desire the meat of your word. Because it isn't just knowledge. We're not here just collecting knowledge. But Lord, our desire is to grow in your word in order to know you. That knowing you, as we know you, your love, your mercy, your grace reflects off us into the lives of everyone we meet, everyone we encounter. And Lord, that, if we see that love of God growing in my life, growing in my affection and love for people and wife, husband, friends, whoever, that that's just, that's just the love of Jesus. And that gives me that assurance that I belong to him. So, Father, I thank you for your word tonight. Encourage us with it. 
and we bless you. Thank you for those who came tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys.